Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices. All the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Locked on Gators, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. I'm your host, Zach Goodall. Make sure to throw me a follow on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall, as well as my co-host, Demetrius Harvey. You can find him at Demetrius82. Demetrius, say what's up to the people. What's up, everybody? Hope you enjoyed yesterday's episode of the Locked on Gators podcast. We're going to be talking about more Gators football while they're in the bye period, as Zach calls it. And, you know, maybe there's going to be some more football ahead, actual football. So we're going to get into that and a bunch of other stuff that Zach's going to talk about. Zach's going to talk about? Am I carrying the show? We'll both talk about it, but you're going to be talking about the topics that we're going to be talking about. So there you go. Nah, man, I've still got like a pint of ice cream right here. I might just let you carry it and I'll sit back and eat. We'll do whatever your heart desires, Zach. Well, what we'll be talking about tonight includes a continuation of our breakdown of each position of the roster through three games as we're on this bye period. We're on to the wide receiver group. Uh, That's going to be our third and final segment, but I'm sure it'll be a long one because there are a lot of players to talk about there. We'll certainly be testing time. And and then we also had Dan Mullen talk with us today on the SEC Coaches Teleconference. We'll share what we heard from him in terms of the team getting back to practice and what he's learned about the team outbreak, how he's doing, how the team's doing after all of their positive diagnoses with the coronavirus, as well as how the team can prepare during this time off, what they can do to get ready. Demetrius will have a lot on that. He's got a story coming on that as well. But we will go ahead and start with what we heard from Dan today. I was on the call, and he you know, he came out and said that he was doing fine. Really, everyone was dealing with, at worst, mild symptoms. And the plan is to get back to practice this upcoming Monday. Yeah, we're finally going to be getting into football as we know it, I guess, in this weird coronavirus, pandemic, whatever environment for the SEC. They're going to be back on Monday. You know, Dan said that the protocols, once they found out about all the positive tests last, I guess it was last week or, yeah, last week, last Monday or Tuesday, then they decided that it's going to be 14 days. And that's standard. You know, when you enter the quarantine period, you have to wait 14 days before you return or however many positive or or negative tests, I should say, have allowed you to come back. And after 14 days, that's usually when the virus would have gotten into you and infected you and made you sick. And once those days are up, then you're most likely good. And then there's 10 days for other people who actually did test positive and things like that. Like Zach said, everybody's feeling okay. According to Dan Mullen, he says that everybody has mild symptoms at worst, which is great because the, the, the biggest thing here and through what everybody seems to be missing is we just want these guys to be healthy as people because it doesn't matter that they're not playing football right now. It really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. As long as they can return healthy, they can just see their parents again. They can see their kids and family. You know, these guys have real lives. They're, they're not just objects or robots. They actually exist just like you guys, just like us. So hopefully everybody just returns as healthy as possible, healthy, and hopefully they get get back on the field healthy, and we'll, we'll, we'll see where, where they go from there. Yeah, without a doubt. And 
for the guys that are symptomatic, you know, they still do continue to add up for Florida. They've revealed that they've had more positive tests uh, in the latest batch of COVID testing results that we talked about the other day. On top of that, Mullen shared that they had at least one more positive today uh, when they were talking about it as of yesterday's testing. Uh, So it appears to be a trend that is stuck on, you know, beyond the outbreak. Whether or not it's, you know, maybe from that practice that they had that Monday where people are just starting to test positive or if they're trickling in from people that didn't need to quarantine and decided to go and hang loose during their time off. One way or another, you know, they're still seeing positives come in. They're going to be depending on contact tracing to figure out exactly where that's coming from. Yeah, and that's actually another thing that Dan talked about, contact tracing, how how important it is for them to find the origin of this. You know, obviously, after a while, with this new positive test, you can't really do it too much because who knows when they could have got it. Like Zach said, he could have just went out to a bar or, you know, just going out in general, maybe he didn't wear a mask, maybe somebody else didn't wear a mask, and then he got infected, and that's that. They've been doing daily testing, so these kind of results should be expected or, you know, anticipated, I guess. But Dan talked about a little bit of contact tracing today. He said, or I guess yesterday, since you guys are listening to the next day, but he said that he believes that it probably originated on the trip to Texas A&M, not when they got to Texas A&M and they were in College Station and somehow Texas A&M infected them, but right before or right when they maybe got on the plane because there were players who said that they experienced symptoms prior to actually departing, but they didn't report those symptoms, and then that could have infected them. And then Dan talked about in the locker room at Texas A&M. This is the case for every away locker room, especially in college. Those locker rooms are small. You're not getting much space. You're not getting much breathing room literally and and figuratively and these guys are just breathing on top of each other so you you got to think that some of it probably occurred then then they also had a team dinner these guys are sitting pretty close to each other they're big guys there's not much space you can have so probably got it then there's plenty of different places where this could have originated from but that's what Dan Mullen feels most likely on the trip or during the trip to Texas A&M and that's unfortunate. You know, that's something that they're going to have to figure out in future cases. Are, are they going to maybe isolate half the team in a locker room and then bring in the other half? Or, or how are they going to space it out? Because there's not much room for you to move. This isn't like an NFL locker room where it's pretty much even. These are college locker rooms that pretty much they give you high school locker rooms. Yeah, exactly. That was something that I wanted to talk about as well. People have blamed the Aggies a lot because they've gotten some fines for what's gone on within their program. They were one of the three SEC programs fined for not following protocols. So people immediately went to blame them for giving it to Florida. That's not necessarily what happened. Mullen said it. He, he believes that maybe it was just one or two guys, but the bottom line is that's all it took getting on a plane. Then domino effect from there. Yeah, people, when you're on a plane, everybody, most people have have been on planes. And if you know any planes, you're pretty much three to a seat. You're really close. I mean, even a charter plane, you're pretty close to each other. You're breathing the same air. I'm not sure how their filtration system works. I'm not going to pretend to know, but it seems like it could be possible to get sick on a plane. Because I know I've been on a plane before. Somebody else was sick. Then I get like the cold or whatever. I feel like that's a normal way to get sick and a normal way to you know especially with this virus that's very contagious 
maybe they'll have to change up some stuff. Maybe they'll have to ensure that people are wearing masks. Who knows if they were or not, but maybe they're, they have to change some sort of protocols or make it a little bit stricter for them so that they don't do this. They can't expose everybody on at the same time on a plane. I guess we'll, we'll, we'll just have to find out. But as we know, the Gators are going to be returning to practice on Monday, getting ready for their game on October 31st against the Missouri Tigers, which will be their first game in 21 days. So we'll figure it out from there. But that's all we know. They're supposed to return on Monday. If they, do, if they don't, Dan says who knows what's going to happen, how long it will take. But that's their plan as of right now to return on Monday and finally get back to some sense of normalcy. One way or another, Mullen expects the team to be there on Monday. Probably not in full capacity, but to a point where they're ready and they've got enough scholarship players to field a, a good enough team can to compete with Missouri on Saturday, October 31st. When we come back, we're going to be talking about what it will take for them to prepare for that game especially in a bit of an unconventional bye week slash period slash whatever you want to call it. And, you know, how they're going to have to get ready and back into football shape and readiness after some time off after these messages. What's up, everybody? This is Zach Goodall, host of the Locked On Gators podcast. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time, whether it's work, friends, family, a million pressing social issues, or just an expectation in general to be on 24-7. Sometimes you need to just take a moment, turn off, hit reset. You need to chill. That's when you reach for a Coors Light, especially on game days, man. I'll tell you what, I can't really drink much during college football Saturdays, but on NFL Sundays, it's therapeutic for me, man, to sit down, drink a beer, and enjoy some football. And that's what I do. I'll reach for a Coors Light. It's the official beer of watching any sport just to drink beer. It's mountain cold refreshment that's literally made to chill. It's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. Coors Light is the beer I choose when I need to unwind. So when you need to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light. In the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coreslight.com. That's get.coreslight.com to get Coors Light delivered straight to your door. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. All right, guys. It's time to get real. I'm sick and tired of going to the storefronts, looking for a car part, and I can't find it. I don't care how many different cars there are in America right now. And no, I don't want to wait 10 business days for you to find my part either. I'm over it. That's why I've started to go on rockauto.com. I don't even have to leave my place. I can just log on, find my part, and get it. On top of having to wait forever at a store, they upcharge you upwards to 30, 50, maybe 100% more than rockauto.com. That's ridiculous. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure to write in Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. RockAuto.com. Make your life easier. Make the storefront's life harder. Go get your stuff. RockAuto.com. So, Demetrius, I'll let you kind of bat lead off here. Mullen talked about that the team is really in game shape. 
they're he's not too worried about them having to work out a ton to need to get ready to play. I, I believe that. I don't think these guys will suddenly be totally out of shape, but there's going to be a little bit of rust there after not playing for so long, 14 days without practice, and really three weeks in between games. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of rust, and I feel comfortable saying that because any time a team has been off for three weeks without being on, on the gridiron, it's going to be a little uncomfortable. Typically in a bye week, you get a full week, plus apparently in college, now excuse my ignorance, I didn't know this at first, but apparently you know they practice a couple of times with what Dan Mullen said that they would typically do. So even in a bye week, you get a little bit of work in there. You get a little bit of to knock the rust off yourselves or, or prepare to knock the rust off. You, you don't really have any rust. You just don't play the game. Now they haven't played or practiced in three weeks, or they will. They'll practice a little bit next week, obviously. It's not going to be, Dan said it's not going to be as extensive immediately, but they're not going to have actual football activities until Monday, which is crazy because, you know, you're going to go into – you kind of just started to get into your groove as an offense. Obviously, the offense has been clicking really, really well, and then boom, all of a sudden you stop. You, there's no connection between Kyle to Kyle. There's no connection between Kyle to Kadarius or who, whatever on the offensive side of the football. They're not able to work on this on the field. Now, Dan did go in and say that the team is going to be doing some conditioning that they give to the players. They, they give them a lighter workload. Obviously, it's not going to be as extensive or as extreme, Dan says, as – it was during the spring when they were off for so long, but he's given them a little bit of something so that they can keep their, their wheels moving. And so that there's not too much rust, but it's going to be interesting to see how are they going to look after three weeks of not being on the football field coming off of a loss, which typically you want to just get right back out there and practice on what you forgot. It's going to be interesting. You, you know, they, they, they're doing zooms right now. They have every single coach, every single player is remote. Dan talked about how he actually, since, you know, he has the virus, he's living in basically a wing of his house, separated completely from his family. His wife had to move into a different bedroom. So it, it's literally just all work. He goes to the office, he goes to his bedroom, that's it. And obviously the bathroom and things like that. But it, it, it's just going to be interesting to see how, how they can come back on the field with only a week to prepare. You know, I don't think they're allowed to practice every single day or if even if they are very limited. So... I'm not sure exactly how much rust they're going to be able to knock off in that little short amount of time, but that's going to be the most intriguing storyline to follow throughout the week, and I guess we'll see on Saturday. And what will be interesting to see as well come Monday, or maybe, I guess, come Saturday, as we continue to get these positive tests, is who won't play? Were position groups truly affected? as badly as they could have been, and as you'd expect with that many players testing positive and needing to quarantine. You know, we won't ever exactly know who had it. It'll be a little easier to guess at this point if you see someone that has been healthy all year, healthy their entire career, suddenly not playing for no reason. But, at, you know, at the end of the day, you got to respect that privacy. But still, like, that's a huge issue for Florida. On top of the rust that they're going to have to shake off, They've got, what, six days, five days in between practice and game. you got to consider that that will be a lot more of a trap game than anyone would have ex expected it to be at first, and one that you, ser you 
seriously think, you know, losing that game could derail Florida's 2020 season, and it's a lot more realistic now. Absolutely. If they if they go, you know, obviously it's a home game. If they lose against Missouri on Saturday, then I'm sorry, but that might just spell the end because they can't they wouldn't be able to afford to lose anymore. They would have to beat Georgia. Obviously, they're probably going to have to beat Georgia regardless in order to get to the to the SEC championship game. But who knows how that would spell for their even their playoff chances, their chances in the playoff, anything. They're, this is a must-win game. And going into the week, it was obviously still a must-win game. But you kind of thought, you know, okay, we'll lose against Texas A&M. And then you jump right into Missouri at home, which should have been a game in which, you know, you'll be able to get right. Because it's Missouri has played well at times, but they're not, you know, they're not a Texas A&M. They're, they're not on the same tier of teams that Florida's going to be facing. So we'll see, you know, like Zach said, 21 days, that's a long time to be off. And I think it will be interesting to see also, like Zach said, about how the position groups. So just kind of uh, hypothetical, say you have three offensive linemen that aren't there. So now you're having three backup guys who haven't played a down this season having to go in there. There, there There's so many different variables that can affect how the Gators play and this is what probably their most important game of the season I mean there's nothing they can do but it's going to be intriguing to see you know their resiliency I think that this is probably the most tested that this even Dan Mullen's team from since he got there might be this weekend you know you raise a good point about the position groups it makes me wonder do rotations seem down to you and granted you weren't here last year so it's based more off of your observation of tape. But in general, besides receiver, because that's a strong point, does it seem down to you? Because when I think well, about it, it, well, it seems to, like on the offensive line, I think, if I recall correctly, there has not been a single switch on the um, offensive line or any down, any snap this entire season. It's been the same five. That's not what happened last year. They moved guys around a little bit. Some guys got to step up as a six offensive lineman, and then they saw Chris Bleich transfer, and then Ethan White got to step up a little bit more. And I think in general, seven or so offensive linemen ended up playing last year, and you know we got to see those rotations. Florida hasn't really done that so far on the offensive line, and you know we've seen it in some spots where they'd be good, but maybe this could be a true test as to why those rotations work because say it were and again purely hypothetical the offensive line that did end up getting hit if they ended up giving one or two guys maybe one tackle and one guard or interior player just even a couple of snaps here or there against South Carolina against Ole Miss maybe not Texas A&M but those first two games you know that those could have been very very critical reps yeah, Zach, I mean, I really haven't seen any sort of rotation along the offensive line at all. And I'm talking not even a declared eligible guy who comes in, you know, as an extra blocker or anything like that who might go out for a pass near the goal line. Just haven't seen it. And I think that that shows, you know, they haven't had that healthy rotation. And it's not as though you need to rotate the offensive line. I actually think that that's a bad idea in general. Don't put in guys who are not ready to go. And it just ruins the chemistry. But it does talk about a little bit of the inexperience that would occur if a couple of the offensive linemen are out. Because 
we don't know about if Ethan White is ready to go. You know, I know Dan said that he was going to be ready to go in a couple of weeks, but, you know, we, we didn't hear anything about him then. So I'm really curious to see how they end up doing this. What are they going to do if a position group is damaged or injured? I should say not damaged, but if a position group is injured or unhealthy, whatever, what are they going to do in order to supplement that? And how are they going to look after that position group comes in as a new, pretty much a new unit? They'll only have a couple days of practice of this. Another position group I haven't really seen rotate too much is the safety group, which I mean, last year, I know that they split all four safeties pretty evenly. I remember going through the stats. I mean, it, it, I think one one guy, maybe it was Sean Davis or Brad Stewart, one of those two played the majority of the snaps, but then the rest of them kind of just rotated, and even Jawan Taylor, who's not no longer there. This year, I kind of just see uh, Steiner and, and Davis. So, what A little bit of Torrance, a little bit of Dean. Sure, d- but just not, a little bit, though. Yeah, not like it was before. Not, not a 50-50 split, which is pretty much what they were doing last year. And it was situational and... I know Todd Grantham talked about, you know, how they might not do that anymore, Ron English. All, all of them talked about all this kind of stuff. But we'll see what happens. And I think that that's a good, you know, a good idea to bring up is, you know, what are they going to do if these guys aren't ready to go in certain position groups? How are they going to handle that? Who's going to play? How are they going to look? Will they be able to knock the rust off in a few days? And I guess we'll have to find out against Missouri in a must-win game. Same thing could be said about the linebackers. Ventro Miller is the middle linebacker, but what if he got hit? Who steps up there? If you're putting Amari Bernie and James Houston out there as your two linebackers, best of luck. On top of that, what if it's the rest of the linebacker group? It gets very thin very quickly. Defensive line, same thing, especially with who they've been missing so far. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's a scary thought. You go in there. If you go in there with the defensive line you have now, they're already talking about how thin they are on the defensive line as it is. You know, I guess Dexter would have to go in depending on if he's available. And then I honestly don't even know who else they would have. Like, there's really not many defensive linemen who are ready to go in there right now. They would have to go to the freshman, Princely, guys like that, Jalen Lee. They would have to go into go in deep to their, their defensive linemen. So it's going to be interesting to see. And maybe that would be a good thing considering the, how the defense has played over the past few weeks. Not a good thing that they would be out, but a good thing that they get to see new faces just to see how how it might look. But, yeah, it's going to be an interesting sight, and I'm not exactly sure what they would do. I'm not either. But I'm sure when we come back, we're going to be talking about the Gators receiver group, grading them as we go along with our positional breakdowns three games through the season after these messages. Demetrius, you got the stats. We've got to talk a lot of numbers about a lot of guys because Florida's got a very spread out passing game. And as we review the Gators wide receiver room through three games so far, who has been, do I want to call it your favorite, your standout, your uh, most impressive, whatever it is, just that guy that you go to first thought out of the Gators wide receivers. Not Pascal. First of all, receivers. Who is it? First of all, it would be all of the above. You know, favorite, standout, whatever you want to call it. But I also want to say, I came into this season. I knew that the Gators rotated their their receivers because you know I did extensive work on Van Jefferson just because you know he was going into the NFL. Jaguars could have maybe picked him, and other teams maybe picked him. I love to 
watch college prospects during the draft, obviously. Went to the Senior Bowl, talked to Van a little bit. And they rotate their guys. And then I came into the Gators beat, and they're still doing it. But I digress because the best receiver that I've seen, I think everybody knows who I'm about to say, and you guys have seen him. Kadarius Tony has just been phenomenal in every aspect of the game. And I think that it's it's a really a, a credit to his work ethic and how much he strove or strived to get better this season. Because last year, I know he was injured some, but he didn't. He still didn't look like a legitimate, you know, this is a wide receiver guy. I always viewed him as a gadget player, kind of a guy that maybe he'll play some running back. I even I remember back when I wasn't covering the team and I talked to Zach, I was like, why don't they just put him at a running back? It was it, it was like that. You know, he wasn't a guy that I thought had a for sure position. I definitely didn't think he was going to be a guy to go into the NFL. So he made a good decision to come back. And so far he has 18 receptions, 237 yards, and four touchdowns, and he deserved all of those numbers. It's been just incredible to watch him play in terms of how he's able to get in and out of his breaks, how he goes across the middle of the field and man coverage, just a bunch of other aspects of his game that you can just see have been impressive with him. And he breaks tackles. This guy is, I mean, he's not that big of a receiver. I mean, I believe he's barely six foot or maybe six one. I, I don't know exactly how tall he is, but he's, he's not a big receiver. You see him on the field and you're like, okay, that guy's, you know, a gadget slot kind of guy. But he's, he's out there breaking tackles, bouncing off of guys, skirting past them, you know, using his juke moves. It's pretty it's pretty cool to see him. So he's a fun player to watch, and, and I'm just happy that we've been able to see his ascension throughout this season so far. Yeah, that makes two of us, man. I came in thinking that he'd enter the NFL whenever he ended up going there as a running back. And... He's not doing, looking like that right now. He looks like a slot receiver who can beat man coverage and be a quarterback's best friend underneath. So, more, all the power to him, man. I, I'm hoping he ends up getting drafted and put in a fun offense. Imagine him in, like, Kansas City. Oh, man. Oh, him and Tyreek Hill. And that would be so fun. Nicole Hardman. <laughs> that's, that's actually not even fair, but go on. I've got maybe a standout to me if it's not going to be Tony. And there's a lot of guys we could, you know, talk about, like I said before. And maybe this is another cop-out cop answer. No offense for calling KT a cop-out answer, but the number two, everyone's favorite, Trent Whittemore. I mean, he didn't have much or any action in the passing game against Texas A&M, but across his first two games, had five receptions, 57 yards and a touchdown, uh, seven targets. I'm impressed for a guy that is 6'4", 208 pounds. You know, he's a good athlete he can really jump but he's not the fastest and you wouldn't think he'd be the most nimble guy out on the field and you gotta be those two things to play in the slot as a receiver unless you're a tight end and even so you gotta be a faster player at tight end to play in the slot you just gotta be able to do that you gotta be able to win in the middle of the field and for a guy of his physical profile you wouldn't really expect him to be doing so well in the middle of the field compared to at the boundary but that's what he's doing. Behind the line of scrimmage in the middle of the field, he's got a reception. Uh, in the middle of the field, 0 to 10 yards, he's 1 for 2 for 13 yards. Uh, between 10 to 20 yards, he's got one target, one reception for 4 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and from 20 or twenty or beyond, he's got one for 26. That really impressive throwing catch in the was a double or triple coverage against South Carolina one way or another. It was just something spectacular. 
Uh, Climb the ladder. Yeah, he's just playing with poise for such a young player in a position that you wouldn't necessarily expect for his mold. And even though there's a lot of guys that we give props to, I I love to see a young guy come in and thrive in a role like that. I think he'll be really successful in Florida's offense for a while, considering just how quickly he's picked things up. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, they call him white chocolate. You know, there was another guy named white chocolate who used to play for Florida and went into the NBA, obviously Jason Williams, same kind of, you know, profile, whatever you want to call it. But the thing is he, he's an interesting prospect or whatever you want to call him on the team, because he's a guy who can play that sort of Kyle Pitts role. And what I mean by that is that he's just a big guy who's, who can go up and get it. You know, if you need a guy in the red zone, you're putting in Whittemore, you're putting in Kyle Pitts and you're putting in Trayvon Grimes. Those are your three wide receivers that I would put in the red zone, throw it up to either any three of them. And it'll be great. Xavier Henderson too, if you want. Xavier Henderson, and you know, maybe we'll touch on him a little bit. He hasn't really gotten too much in into the game plans or anything like that yet, but that's expected as a freshman. But yeah, Wormore has five receptions, 56 yards, and a touchdown. You talk about the middle of the field and how impressive he's been there. But there's another guy, too, who I just mentioned. I mean, he's been incredibly impressive. Trayvon Grimes, I – and the thing is, I think that he has more room to grow because there's been a couple of times where he's had some sort of mental errors where he'll drop the ball. But when he gets the ball in his hands, he gets up the field quick. And he can just mow people over. I saw him a couple of times just stiff arm a guy right to the ground with no, you know, no mercy at all. And, and, and it's just fun to watch a guy being able to dominate just like that. And I think that as the time moves on, we'll obviously see more of him. Eight receptions, 134 yards, a touchdown. He's been almost as impressive or equally as impressive to me in some aspects as Tony has in, ter- in terms of catching the football. Obviously, Tony has had more targets, more receptions so far. But just in terms of him being that number one or number two wide receiver, he definitely fits the mold. And he's probably going to be that way throughout the entire entirety of the season. He hasn't gotten hurt yet. So, you know, knock on wood on that. You guys will see him plenty more times. That connection between him and Trask is going to keep growing. And I believe that the Gators will, you know, have will, they'll, they'll be forced to use him a little bit more in terms of where he's going to be slotted at. They're going to be able to use him in the red zone as much as they want. And I don't know. It's just going to be an interesting time to see how he continues to progress see i'd love to be with you and i'm definitely on the grimes hype train but this is exactly what i said last year why is he not getting the ball more every time he has it in his hands he's doing something you said it right eight receptions 134 yards and a touchdown uh sorry something popped up on my computer as i was dragging there but that would equate to 16.8 yards per reception and 7.9 of them are coming after the catch. Five of his eight receptions have turned into first downs. He's broken three tackles. Like I said it all last year when it, 23 of his 33 receptions of first downs or ended up in first downs. He can make things happen when he's got the ball in his hands. And he's improved as a route runner during his time here, and everyone's talked about it and everyone's seen it. Why is he not getting the ball more? PFF only credits him for one drop. I feel like I can remember more than that. I feel like he's had two, and he's had drop issues in the past, not as bad as maybe Jacob Copeland's had before, Um, but he has them on occasion. In general, I would be trying to get him the ball a little bit more. 
even though you do spread it out so much, like there are some situations where I'd be looking at Grimes, not the same way I do with Pitts, but with the same idea as to, hey, he's someone that I think could make something happen with the ball in his hands here. Let's give it to him. Yeah, and, and maybe maybe that's a case of the Gators' offense or play calling, just how it, how it kind of dictates it. Maybe they just want to get him in a rhythm more than just kind of force-feeding him the ball. Maybe they just want him to excel at the routes that they tell him to run. And I think we've seen that with other wide receivers where you're like, is that really the route, the only route he can run? And, and, and I'm talking specifically here about another guy, Justin Shorter, who is obviously a transfer from Penn State. He was a five-star guy, and no one really knew exactly what to expect from him because he didn't really play too much. You know, he just kind of came in there, and people thought, you know, he looked good, obviously, in high school, earned his five stars. But he only had six receptions for 46 yards, 7.7 yards per reception. And that's not something that you would expect from a guy who you have high expectations for. And now, that's not a good sample size. I'm not writing him off at all. I'm just saying that the way that they use him so far it doesn't seem as though they've tried to give him the ball in the most opportune situations that they can. Basically, they're running hitches, they're running outs, they're running shorter. You know, he'll he'll break a tackle every now and then. Maybe he'll get a first down or however much he'll do. But I think that he's a guy, too, that maybe should be getting the ball a little bit more. Now, you can't give it to everybody. You know, they try. You can't give it to everybody, though. And, and I think that last year you saw that, you know, obviously guys like Josh Hammond might have had a fewer – yards than a guy like Tyree Cleveland or a guy like Van Jefferson and then Freddie Swain might have a few more yards than both of them and it's just one of those things where you have to figure out the ebbs and flows and figure out where you want to go with the football obviously another guy who's taking up all the targets is Kyle Pitts so there's only so many targets that go around they don't run too many offensive plays at all and maybe we'll just end up seeing them involved more as they have to start running more offensive plays because these games are not going to get any easier they're going to have to start grinding out drives and I talked about that earlier in the another article on allgators.com that you guys can check out about their time of possession, how it correlates to, you know, closing out games. We'll be talking a lot about Kyle Pitts and his targets tomorrow on the next episode of Locked on Gators as we transition to talking about the tight ends. Uh, and that'll be wrapping up our week at that point. We'll be looking forward to seeing if Florida – We'll be starting practice the next week in preparation for the Missouri game on Halloween, October 31st. But until Friday, until that episode, we are going to be calling it here today for Lockdown Gators. Make sure to go and follow us on Twitter. Myself at Zach underscore Goodall, Demetrius at Demetrius82, and of course at Lockdown Gators. Subscribe anywhere you can listen to podcasts, leave a rating and review. And check out all of our written work over at Sports Illustrated's allgators.com. Catch up with you guys next time. Is the offensive line or, you know, any position group, really, because they, 